Well, good morning and welcome to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldersan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, Free Tools, try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go give us a call at 499-9526. And you put a 225 in front of that, you can reach us from anywhere inside the continental United States. That's right, and I think Canada as well. Okay. You may have to put a one in front of it or something, but I believe you can do it. And I tell you, I know we got a lot of nice listeners in Canada because uh-huh. we got some good feedback this week from a gentleman up that way. Right. All our friends up north of the border. <laughs> and we appreciate hearing from you guys. Man, I tell you, just had one guy wrote from, I think it was Ottawa, and he says, I wish we had a show like this in Council. Well, you do. That's it. All you got to do is tune in. <laughs> just tune in, man. You got it. <laughs> get you wherever you're at. That's it. Hey, 499-9526 will get you right up here straight to the top of the list. We've got all our lines wide open. We really appreciate your call. Really appreciate hearing from you and getting your perspective on things. That's it. And should you happen not to want to call us today and be on the air or maybe think of something after the show goes off or maybe even during the week when we're not on the air, That's right. you can still get your questions answered. Go, go to, to our, our website. website. There you go. <laughs> I got an echo in here. <laughs> yeah, just go to the website and hit the contact bar and send me an email. I'll get an answer back to you within 24 hours. Now, next week, after July the 4th, actually, uh-huh. we're taking off on July 4th when we close all the following week, so I won't be at the shop. But you can still catch me with email because I always travel with my laptop, and I don't mind responding to you even though I'm on vacation. Sure. You may not get an answer quite as quick, but you will get an answer. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> that address is agcoauto.com. That is A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. That's right. Get you right straight to me while you're on that site. Pop around. See, look at some of the other good things on there. I put an article this morning on driving vacations, and this time of year a lot of folks will be driving on vacation And this is a kind of a short little article, just goes to some safety tips when you're driving. Things Uh, to think about before you leave and while you're on your trip. That's right. Some things maybe save you some time and trouble. And most people, I think the biggest single problem that people have, obviously, other than getting in an accident, would be getting maybe a speeding ticket or something like that. Right, or maybe a breakdown. Yeah, folks tend to overestimate the time they're going to save by speeding. And I even put a little thing, and if you're driving 100 miles, and you go 80 miles an hour instead of 70 miles an hour, you're going to get to your destination 11 minutes sooner. 11 minutes. Yeah, so you're really not saving Is 11 minutes lot. really worth that speeding yeah. ticket? Well, that $400 speeding ticket. I'll say, was, especially uh, out of state. Oh, yeah, but <laughs> I tell you. And that's one thing, right, wrong, or indifferent, a lot of small communities are kind of feeling budget pinches. The feds are cutting back. The states are cutting back. And a lot of them are a little short on revenue. And you can get a police officer out on the road. By the time you pay his salaries and his benefits, let's say it costs you $100,000 a year. Uh-huh. But he can pretty easily write three or $400,000 worth of tickets in a year. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I'm not saying that that happens every day, but there certainly are stepping up enforcement. And I think a lot of it has to do with our safety as well. It does. But the odds of you getting a ticket just really aren't worth the little bit of time you're going to save. So good article. Pop on there. See what you think. I think you'll really like it. Is agcoauto.com. That's A G C O A U T O.com. And we're going to our phone lines with Al. Good morning, Al. Good morning, man. Good morning. Sir, I've got a 01 GMC Sierra. Okay. My power window is gone out. Mm-hmm. The motor operates, but the window doesn't. Okay. okay. Took the panel off, mm-hmm. and there's a cable that comes down the back side of the door into the bottom and up to it. Yes, sir. That's right. The window regulator. Right. The cable is loose. Yes, sir. And uh, there's a white thing that slides in and out, but it's not attached to the cable. I don't know whether the cable is broken or It is. It's broken? Yes, sir. And that is non-repairable, Al. They don't sell any components for that. You have to buy that entire mechanism. Uh-oh. And if I'm not mistaken, the motor is going to come with the mechanism on that year model. I think you get the motor and the regulator all together. 
And they have actually lowered the price on that recently. It used to be really expensive. I mean, it was up in the four or $500 range. I want to say it's down around $200. I mean, don't quote me on that. Yeah. But they have lowered the price on it because they had so much trouble with that. Mm. But you do mm. have to buy that entire assembly. And it's also riveted in with a special rivet, big quarter-inch pop rivet type thing. So you got to have the tool to do it. If you get in there and try to put a bolt or something like that, you'll probably end up breaking the glass. <laughs> <laughs> Man, it ain't eleven o'clock. You've ordering my weekend. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> uh, uh, how about how long it take to do that? About an hour and a half. You know, he's a wheel. So he can do it an hour and a half. Mm-hmm. And I think my best thing put it back together and most likely live with it. And- yeah, if you're not used to doing it, I know we do them all day long at the shop. I got two guys that do a lot of that kind of work, and they they're pretty good at. It. Like I said, they can get it done in about an hour, hour and a half. But yeah. you're not used to fooling with it, man. I had a guy cut his arm real bad. To, regulator got away from and cut him pretty good and i've had people break windows and everything else so it's real easy to break that glass if you use the wrong rivet or like lewis said you try to put a bolt in it you'll snap that glass and it touches the edge of that glass will shatter because of tempered glass Mm. okay all right all right sir thanks so much all right al thanks man bye-bye 499-9526 number if you want to be part of the automotive we would certainly love to have you had a gentleman who called just before we came on the air and he was asking he said he had a vehicle that had been involved in an accident and fairly significant wreck and he was just wondering if i had a recommendation of a body shop that he might uh-huh. contact and unfortunately i really don't know anybody i can refer you to specifically just because i don't deal with that very much but i do have some pretty good general guidelines some things you could try to get a good sound recommendation okay And I think the folks who probably know the most about who's out there, what kind of work they do, what kind of problems they have with them, are the insurance adjusters and the insurance claim centers. Right. Now, if you call your insurance claim center, I'm not saying that they're going to steer you wrong or steer you to the cheapest guy, but it is kind of sort of in their best interest to steer you to the cheapest guy. Sure. So what you might want to do, let's say you've got Allstate Insurance. Well, call the State Farm Claim Center. Sure. And say, hey, look, I've got the other guy's insurance. I'm not really making a claim with you. I was just wondering, if your mother's car got in a wreck, where would you refer? There you go. And instead of calling one, maybe call a couple of them. And just take the best answer. Yeah. Or the most. Well, I'm going to tell you what you can do even better now. Once you get a couple of answers, then what you do is don't call that shop. Call that shop's competition. Okay. Call a competitor. And say, look, I'm thinking about getting my car fixed. Let me ask you a question. What do you think about? xyz body shop Uh uh-huh and of course you're talking about his competition so he's not gonna say oh he's great man finest guy in the world right but what you want to know is two things number one is he technically competent and number two is he honest sure because if he's honest then whatever he tells you you can believe it right if he's technically competent he can fix the car exactly so nothing else really matters now obviously they're not going to give him a glowing recommendation being the competition they may say oh he's high or he's don't just disregard all those comments Uh uh-huh all I want to know is, is he honest and is he technically competent? There you go. And if you call his competition and they say, yeah, well, then you got pretty much the guy right there. <laughs> so that might be a way to find who you're looking for and help, hope that really helps you out. We're going to go back to our phone lines. We've got Earl online. Good morning, Earl. Uh, yeah, I just had a quick question. I just recently bought a 2012 Toyota Tacoma okay. pickup, mm-hmm. 14,000 miles on it. And I noticed when I started up cold, especially in the morning, but uh, it'll do it during the day, too. The engine revs up real fast for a pretty good while. When I first started up, about 1,500 RPMs. I'm worried about the engine revving up that fast when the engine's cold. The dealer says it's supposed to do that. I don't know. I, well, I wanted to ask you if you think Yeah, okay. Earl, the idle on 
that vehicle is controlled 100% by the PCM. In other words, there is no adjustment. There's nothing you can do. There's no way you can change it. The computer is going to set it where it wants it to be set. Now, that being said, the way it does that is it looks at a bunch of different parameters. One is engine temperature. Another might be the barometric pressure. Another might be uh, on and on and on. I think it's about 10 to 15 different inputs to the computer that it uses to calculate the proper idle. Now, if any one of those inputs is incorrect, in other words, we got a sensor that's broken and not reading, so you're going to pop a check engine light. But if you got one that's reading but it's reading wrong, then that computer is going to command a much higher idle than it should or what would be proper for the application. So that would be my first guess is that you've got one of the sensors that's reading a little off parameter. Now, that's not very difficult to find. What you're going to need to do is get it into a shop the night before where they've got it where it's cold first thing in the morning, and they need to connect a Toyota-type scan tool to it. They can read what is being commanded, and they can read why it's being commanded. They can read you know, why it's commanding this particular idle. Now, the fix is to correct the problem. Then the computer will bring the idle back down where it wants. But there is no such thing as on the old cars where you went in and turned the screw or changed this or moved that. There is no type of adjustment. The computer is going to set it where it wants it to be. Right. There's actually no physical connection between the accelerator pedal and the throttle body. It's all electronic now. Right. There's yeah. just a stepper motor. It's not, it doesn't even have an idle control servo. It's got a stepper motor that opens it to whatever the computer tells it. Now, one other possibility is, and this would be the only simple thing, is the throttle body could be dirty. If the throttle body is dirty, they didn't tend to build up a little bit of carbon on the backside of that little plate that closed, and the plate may not be able to close completely. So when it starts, what it's looking for is a completely closed throttle. If it doesn't see that, it may hunt up and down a little bit until it can figure out where idle should be, which would speed it up till it can actually go where it's going. You might try, if you're pretty handy, go in there and clean that throttle body pretty carefully or have someone clean it for you and see. If that doesn't do it, then you have to just read all the sensors and see why it's commanding fast idle. And there is a special chemical to clean that throttle plate with because it's an anodized coating. And if you use the wrong chemical, you can eat anodization off of it, and it's porous. Yeah, then it so never it starts idle. leaking out, and then it'll never idle right. Uh-huh. So do you think that's too fast? Is that harmful to the engine where it is right now? Or it sounds I? like it. I mean, I'd have to see it. It depends. 1,500 sounds awful fast. Now, it depends on what the outside temperature is. If it's a cool morning like we have this morning, 1,500 for maybe 15 to 20 seconds would be probably acceptable. If it keeps it longer than that, like if it's keeping it up for a minute, I think that would be way too long. Or if it's a real hot restart like one of our days where it's 92 degrees it shouldn't be up that high but when the engine is cold it will command a higher idle uh, it yeah. does that for a number of reasons number one the engine's not running as efficiently when it's cold so it's going to command a higher idle and make it run smooth and number two it wants to build the oil pressure faster so it's going to run that idle up a little bit higher but i mean it's not excessive i wouldn't be overly concerned about it but a fast idle can do a couple of things number one when you drop it into gear it's going to shock the drivetrain because that engine's racing up, so you're going to get a little bang, which is going to shorten the life of your transmission, your rear differential, and all that. Yeah, well, I so mostly it does it when it's cold in the morning. Uh, during the day, I'll notice it a little bit, but not near as much. Yeah, so. it's just a matter of degrees, Earl. I mean, if it's yeah. just a split-second thing, it speeds it up. Yeah, it will do that. Mm -hmm. So. Okay. Well, thank you. I'll watch it, and uh, if I need to take it back over there, I'll do it. Yeah, yeah that's I what I do. It. Just kind of keep an eye on it. If it seems excessive, and, I mean, you pretty sharp guy, I mean, you should be able to see what is out of line. I mean, a little bit of an elevated idle for a few seconds is normal. 
it shouldn't be racing away or stay like that for a long period of time. But the computer does command that on its own. So it just sees something that it wants to have a little faster idle. It'll do it. All right, sir. Well, thank you very much. All right, Earl. All right, sir. Thank you. Bye-bye. Good question. That's something we get a lot. Folks will come in quite often and say, well, can you adjust the idle on my car? No, sir. I'm sorry. I can't. Why not? (laughs) (laughs) And everybody's used to the days when we had an old carburetor and there was just a screw on the side or something. You just turn it a little bit and you speed the idle up or slow it down or whatever you want. But we haven't had that in many, 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 many years. No, it's all a software deal now. There may be a update software update for it that brings the idle back down a little more. You it know, could be. That's what the technology's gone to now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a flash update to the computer may actually change the idle strategy on it somewhat. So, Hey, we're going to take a quick little break. We'll be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. That's the best. I get your kicks on route. Just a guy here for Agco Automotive with a few things that chap my hide lately. $150 jeans, vanity licenses that are too complex to read, billboards that say drive carefully. Think about that one. Child beauty pageants. I mean, let's go ahead and set these kids up for failure before they get to kindergarten. And how about when you try to be nice and let someone out in traffic and they won't go because they're talking on the cell phone? Here's a message for you. Put the phone down! Another thing that chaps my hide is repair shops that use Swaptronics to fix your car. That's where they can't pinpoint the exact problem, so they just change parts, hoping to fix something, which means your repair bill could double. The experts at Agco determine the exact problem, then fix it right the first time, at the price quoted, which does not chap my hide. Want more info? Visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. If you just joined us, it's the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Lewis Altazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, Tune Tools will try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go give us a call? It's 499-9526. Got all our lines wide open. Last call kind of brought to mind. I got an email a little earlier this week, and this was a gentleman. It was actually up in New Jersey, Lakewood, New Jersey, and he said his car was doing sort of a similar thing. He had a transmission put in it recently, and the idle was kind of racing up and hunting around up and down. Right. And he was a little bit worried that maybe he was having some transmission issues. And what happens is that when the battery is disconnected from a modern car, because it has to learn idle. Right. Idle is a, a learned function, process. Pretty complex function. It has to take a lot of factors into consideration. And it's kind of like your miles per gallon indicator. If you notice, there's an instant one and then there's an average one. Well, the average one is balancing a bunch of figures. Well, the same thing with this. On idle, what it does is it takes a bunch of parameters over a number of days, balances them out, and calculates the best idle for most conditions. Correct. Now, when you disconnect the battery, you lose all of that information. Right. You lose that, and you lose all your diagnostic information Mm -hmm. when you disconnect the battery. So it really doesn't know where it needs to idle, so it has to kind of experiment around, and it will relearn on its own. But what happens a lot of times is that the throttle body has gotten dirty over the time. Right. And it had learned that the throttle body was dirty, and it adapted to it. But when you disconnect the battery, now that throttle plate, can no longer close all the way. So it can't find its range because it can't find zero, so it doesn't know exactly where it's at. And in some cases, it won't relearn. It just keeps hiding up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down. And, of course, what you have to do is go in, clean the throttle body, which alleviates that problem. Then you have to re-disconnect the battery to take out the garbage that's in there. And there is actually a little relearn procedure that works pretty well on most cars. 
And what you want to do is when you first crank it up, it's going to run really, really rough. So you put it in part, air conditioning off, everything all load off the engine, and let it just sit there until it starts to smooth out, which is normally about a minute or two. Uh-huh. As soon as it smooths out, go ahead, put your foot on the brake, drop it, and drive. Now, that loads it down. Now, so again, it's going to start kind of sputtering and spittering and all that. But then when it smooths out again, put it back in park and turn the air conditioner on. Okay. Again, that loads the engine. So it's going to do the same thing again for a minute or two. Then go ahead and put it in drive with your foot on the brakes with the air conditioner on. Now, after you do those four things, it's going to be pretty far along the road to having learned idle. Right. And You'll still have a few little hiccups down the road. Right. Maybe for several days after that, right. you but may notice it idles up a little higher. To learn. But eventually, it will average, like you said, it will average out, and it will learn idle and start idling smooth again. Yeah, that's a pretty good way to go ahead and set your base idle on it. And that way, you can be a whole lot further ahead. That's in case where you have to go ahead and disconnect the battery. Uh-huh. So there's all you want to know about idle. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> Let's go back to our falls. Mike, good morning, Mike. Hey, good morning, fellas. How y'all doing? Doing great, doing sir. Doing great. Good. I got a question. I think y'all covered many, many times there, mm -hmm. but uh, I need a little refresher on it. Okay. Rack and pinion for an 01 Tundra uh -huh. cylinder. Mm -hmm. I had a fellow looking at something the other day, and he said, you know, you got a little grease leaking from this thing. Okay. Yeah. Probably on the right-hand side, Mike, on top of the boot. Right. The boot looks like it's melted off. Well, I mean, it doesn't look really that bad, but I can see it's a little damaged. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Mike, I don't get really excited about that. I'll tell you what has happened in my experience is that when Toyota put those together, I think they put some grease on those tie rods, and I believe that grease touches the inside of that boot and it melts it because every one of them's melted in the same exact spot. I mean, just about every one I see has got that same spot. And I know a lot of people say, oh, you got to have a rack and pinion, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, what I always ask people, have you had to add any fluid to the car? And most people say, well, no, I don't add any fluid to it. That's right. Well, I just go <laughs> okay. in and I change that boot because the reason I change the boot, it's not going to seal the rack. The seal for the rack is internal to the rack, and there's no getting that. You have to rebuild the rack or replace the rack to fix that. But by replacing the boot, you're keeping the trash and the grit and the grime under the car from getting inside that rack and making the situation way worse. Because every time you go down a wet road, all that rain is going to go in that hole in that boot, and it's going to get inside your rack, and you sure will need a rack real soon. But right. what we do is pull that boot off, look inside. If the fluid is running out, well, then obviously we got to do something else. But if there's no fluid running out and you're not adding fluid, I just put a new boot on it and go with that. And you have to have an alignment after that. You will. Because you have to take the tie rod off. You have to take the adjustment nut that locks the tie rod, the outer tie rod, to the inner tie rod. Mm -hmm. And you lose that adjustment when you change the boot because so, the boot has to slide over the inner tie rod. Right, so you have to align the front end again after you change the boot. At least a toe set. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, I got 192000 on it. I might as well re replace the struts first and then come bring it to you guys and let y'all take care of it. Yeah, we can do that. And I tell you, I would kind of drive it and see if the struts feel bad. I have seen Toyotas go twice that oh, far yeah. on the original struts. And I'm going to tell you, if you decide to change the struts, don't go to a parts store and buy them because the ones you get aren't going to be as good as those are with 192,000 miles on them, I'll tell you right now. Uh, I'm leaning toward getting them back from the Toyota place. Yeah, well, I would. Because I got that much out of I would. Because I tell you, there's not a day of the week Mike goes by. Somebody comes in and they says, man, this thing drives like the devil. We're going in and got four brand new aftermarket struts. We got to pull all that junk back off and put the original stuff back. They're not as good as the wore out ones we're taking off. I'll be doggone. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, I got some time off at the end of July. I'll, I'll, I'll call and make an appointment. Okay. Sounds all right, good, sir. man. Thank you. Thank bye you. Bye-bye. 499-9526. The number, if you want to be part of the automotive, I would love to have you. Boy, for a while there, we were just getting a rash of that locally where there was a certain unnamed Toyota dealer. Yeah. <laughs> he was getting folks in selling them all changes at a discount, and everybody went in and needed a 
$2,000 rack and pinion. I'm telling you, we got them in probably two a week there for a while. Yeah. And I think we changed one rack. Yeah, one bad out of a box. One bad rack. A hundred of them that came through right. saying they needed a rack. Put a boot on them, set the toe, and... And they're, they're good to go. Yeah, and I don't know if they backed off on that since. Maybe Toyota talked to them about it or whatever. Maybe I don't, the commission tech that was doing that left. left. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, but boy, I tell you, it was sure giving them a black eye. You know? Yeah, it did. Not everything has to be fixed. In fact, I've got an article on the website, and it's called Fixing It Right. And the definition of fixing it right is going to vary depending on different people. I had a gentleman in the shop yesterday, and he's got – a Ford pickup, and it needed a compressor. The compressor was leaking pretty bad, and it was also a very small leak at the evaporator core. Uh huh. Now, the compressor is a biggish job, but not horrible, but that evaporator core is a huge job. you got to pull the entire dash out. Right. And so I quoted him a price to do one and then both, and his comment was, he says, well, I want to do it right. I said, well, let me ask you this. To me, right is let's do the compressor and see how long it lasts. Because let's say it lasts for two years before you have to recharge it. Correct. We can come back in two years and charge it charge again. Charge it again. And let's say it runs out in two months. Okay, well, now we can do the other job. It's not going to cost more to come back and do it later. Right. It's in a different area of the different, vehicle. Yeah, one's under the hood and one's under the dash. Right. He said, well, don't you think, well, I said, well, right is what's right for you. I, if it was my car, I'd put a compressor on it, and I'd see how long it lasts. Uh-huh. Because it may last two, three years before you have to go back and add refrigerant to it i had a vehicle did the same thing mm-hmm. you know you charge it next it work all summer mm-hmm. next spring come by mm-hmm. it needed a little top off mm-hmm. discharge it recharge it with the correct amount right. and it'd go another year and be sure you allow for any oil that might have leaked out but just the definition of right is what's right for you not everybody needs everything fixed every single time correct and a lot of times we see that like with oil leaks where a fellow come in and he says, look, I've got an oil leak. And you look under there and there's four oil leaks. Uh-huh. One of them is dripping to the ground. And what I would say, let's fix this bad one. But you got to understand you do have three others here. Correct. So you may still see a little bit of oil, but the cost of fixing that is going to be four times as much as fixing the one bad one. And see, that's where probably com- the one you're seeing. And that's where the communication comes in. Mm-hmm. You know, the customer understands what's going on here. Right. You, you really got to have good communication. Right. Sometimes you can take them out to the shop, show them what you're talking about hey we're going to take another quick little break kevin and mike hang on you guys will be straight up after this break just a guy here for agco automotive with a few things i'm tired of i'm tired of reality tv there's nothing real about it i'm tired of all those housewives the kardashians the brides the bachelors celebrities in rehab here's an idea Let's ship all the Flavor Flaves, Snookies, and Honey Boo Boos off to a deserted island and watch America's average IQ jump up a few points. I'm also really tired of automotive repair shops that promote an $89.95 brake job and then hit the folks for $500 and give them a lousy job. Listen to me and take your vehicle to Agco where you get quality work performed right the first time for a reasonable price. And that, my friends, is a reality. Want more info? Visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O dot com. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. Just join us the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Lewis Alzan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, why don't you go give us a call? It's 499-9526, and we really appreciate hearing from you. We got Kevin online. Good morning, Kevin. How you doing, sir? Doing great. Good morning. Hey, I have a 04 Dodge half-ton four-wheel drive. Uh-huh. 
my steering is getting hard. Like when I'm slow, I can't turn that wheel. When I start moving, I, it, I can turn it. Right. Yeah, you get no power it's steering. Stiff. Now, I do have fluid. Uh-huh. That necessarily got to be the pump, or that can be something like where the, uh, where the ram is underneath there. It uh, could uh, be either. Let, let me ask you a question. You said you got fluid in it, right? Yes, sir. Okay. Have somebody try to turn the steering wheel. While you're looking in the reservoir and see if the fluid is moving around. Mm-hmm. Okay. If, the, if the fluid is not moving, more than likely, the shaft has broke inside the pump. Mm-hmm. And okay. just the pulley sitting there turning in the bearing. Yeah, it'll We do that. see that a lot. Yeah, that shaft will actually shear off and it won't come off, but it'll sit there and turn and the pump's not turning. Especially if you're not getting a grinding or a whining type Any noise kind of when noise. you try to turn it. I'm not. No, I'm not. Yeah, that sounds like the, it feels like you got no power steering. Well, when I go real slow, mm-hmm. it's hard to turn. But sure. yeah, as soon as I start moving, it's fine. Well, yeah, right. see, you really don't need power steering when you're moving because the car is right. rolling, rolling, so it does a little easier. Check that. Now, I'll tell you, too, Kevin, what you can do next is if, if it is moving, you can see the fluid churning. Cut the wheel all the way to one side and see if the hoses kind of tighten up. If you see those two hoses move. Okay. If you see the hoses move and kind of tighten up when you cut that wheel all the way, then you got pressure coming out of the pump. Then you're more likely into the steering box or something like that because – Either one can do it. In fact, you can even have a hose that's restricted that can do that. I've seen right. a hose break down on the inside, and a little flap of rubber will go down and block that pressure. So right. it could be any of the above. To really know for absolutely certain, you almost have to have a pressure gauge you could put on and measure the pressure and the volume coming out of the pump. But I'm sure right. you're not going to have access to that. But just kind of watch those hoses. And if you turn that wheel all the way and that hose doesn't move and kind of tighten up, then you're not making right. pressure. If it does, you probably are making pressure. Yeah. But the thing about it, I can't really turn it all the way because sitting still, mm-hmm. no way, that wheel's not turning. Yeah, if you, yeah, you, gra- to... if you just grab that steering wheel and just pull on as hard as you can pull, and that hose okay. kind of tightens up, then you're okay. making pressure. All right, then. And if the hose just does not move at all, or if it, like Brian said, the fluid's not moving inside the reservoir, you're probably into the pump. Okay, then. All righty. Thank you, sir. Okay, all right, sir. Thanks, man. Bye-bye. 499-9526 number. If you want to be part of the automotive hour, we'd love to have you. Yeah, that's pretty much a dead giveaway. You turn the steering wheel and you don't have any type of grinding or whining type mm-hmm. noise. Mm-hmm. It That's a, almost a dead giveaway that pump is sheared off. Yeah, the first time I ever saw that, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't either. It just doesn't seem practical that <laughs> shaft could just break in the middle like that. And, I mean, they do. looks like a hacksaw cut it or something. Oh, yeah. When you take the pump off, you can actually just grab the pulley and slip it right out of the bearing. Right. And sometimes, of course, a pulley will fly off and the belt will come off sometimes. and all that. But sometimes... Sometimes the belt will actually hold it in place. It'll yeah. just sit there and turn like an idler. Yeah, that's exactly how it operates. I've seen it happen on Chevrolets. I've seen it happen on Dodges. Yeah, um, it's, they all use that same pump. Yeah, same type of design. Yeah, it is kind of weird the way it'll do that. I know. And, of course, I have also seen a steering gearbox do the same yeah. thing. If that valve hangs up or I've seen a hose do that. Right. So you can really go pretty far wrong. I know we had a guy come in a while back, and he had a very similar problem. It was hard to turn. And he had changed the pump, he had changed the hoses, and I don't know if he hadn't changed the box on it. This was a Ford diesel truck, and it ended up being the hydroboost valve. Uh It was bad. That's that valve that the power steering runs through on diesels to give it power brakes. Correct. And something in that valve had gone bad, and it was blocking. It was actually bleeding all the pressure off, so it didn't have enough left for the steering. But yeah, power steering you would think would be real simple, but sometimes this can be. Yeah, oh, it can. Can be pretty just like anything else. It can. <laughs> it can throw you for a loop. Oh yeah, I guarantee you, man. You do this stuff for a long enough time. You oh yeah, you'll see everything. Learn pretty fast. Ain't <laughs> nothing gonna be real simple, or hardly anything. That's it. Talking about just diagnosing things and stuff you think would be real simple. I got another email from a gentleman. He's actually in West Valley City, Utah. Okay. And he says he's got a little Chevrolet truck, a little trailblazer, I think it is, and his headlights are not coming on. Right. And he changed the bulbs, but it's still not coming on. He was wondering what else it could be. In fact, I think he said he changed the switch, too, and it's still not coming on. And 
like Toss said, man, that's, I don't mean to lecture you, but it's kind of the wrong way to go start changing switches and all that because those parts are not inexpensive. Very, very simple. Anytime you have a headlight that doesn't come on, the very first thing you want to do is get a voltmeter. And if you don't have one, go buy one. I mean, you can go A digital to, voltmeter. Yeah, you can buy a cheap voltmeter that'll do the job for probably 15 bucks. Oh, yeah. Uh, buy a good one for probably 60 bucks. Got a whole article on the site. Just go in there and type in voltmeter or something. There's an article how to buy them, how to select them, what to look for, what features to look for, and how to use it, more importantly. But all you have to do is go in and back probe that terminal on the light socket. And there's don't go plug it into the front because you'll mess it up. But just go in. It shows you how to back probe. You go in, you touch the little contacts on the back, and see if you got voltage and ground at the terminal. Now, if you got voltage and ground there, it's either going to be the bulb or the socket. Correct. Plain and simple. Now, if you don't have voltage, then we're into another problem. So we got to start going upstream. And one of the things on that particular vehicle, it has actually a headlight relay on it, which works the low beam, and I think it's another one for the for high, high beam. There is, correct. And those headlight relays will go out. So sure, it's just contact. They'll go out eventually. Mm -hmm. And even more so, if you go in and you put aftermarket light bulbs, sometimes the amp draw on those bulbs is different. I know people go in their bodies, Krypton light right. bulbs, or this kind of light bulb, or that kind of light bulb. And they might look cool, but what they don't realize, they draw a lot more amperage than the original. Sure. And that circuit is minimally engineered to handle the load it has to handle. You put something a little bit bigger, and you can start melting components real fast. You may melt the socket. You may burn up the harness. You may burn up the relay. You may burn up the switch. But something's going to burn up sure. almost every time. But that's, I guess the point is, if you go ahead and buy a voltmeter and... With electrical components, don't start swapping parts because I'm going to tell you, you're going to run out of money way before you run out of guesses. Oh, most definitely. And you may create a bigger problem than you had to begin with. Well, what you may do is go get an aftermarket switch. The original switch was good. This switch is bad. Well, light still don't work. So, you so say, well, got, that's not it. Now you got two so problems. So you go change a whole bunch of other stuff, and it still doesn't work. You did actually inevitably hit the real problem, uh -huh. but now the switch is bad. And you say, well, it's a new switch. So you go change all kind of stuff. Eventually bring it to somebody, check and say you got a bad switch. Right. We see it all the time. Oh, yeah, all the time. And, hey, well, that's a new switch. Well, I'm sorry, it's bad. But it's new. But yeah. it's bad. New don't mean good. <laughs> yeah, new does not mean good. New just means it's supposed to be good. Right. <laughs> yeah, we get parts right out the box that aren't any good. Oh, yeah, all the time. And that's even using original equipment parts, we find them bad right yeah. out of the box. So on aftermarket stuff, the odds are probably 10 times higher than that. Hey, let's go back to our phone lines with Bobby. Good morning, Bobby. Yeah, good morning, guys. Good morning. Great show. Of shoes. Yeah, new in parts uh, might not be good, but... Old in people is always good, Lewis. There you well. go. Hey, I agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> it was probably a time I didn't agree with you, but as I get older, I sure agree with that now. There you go. I'll tell you what, uh, 60 years old, not quite as old as I thought it was. Yeah, that, that really, really, that boy, I tell you, that fellow died not long ago. He said, man, he was young. He wasn't but 60 years old. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> okay, Lewis, I, I subscribe to the Altazan theory of automobiles, so I'm driving a 1993 Dodge Caravan. Okay, good. And for the past several months, maybe more, Sometimes when it's cold, it'll go about a block, and then for, for a block or so, it'll act like it's cold and not getting the gas and blah, blah, blah. And if you mm -hmm. just take your time with it, and you don't have to accelerate because you can't, it'll light itself, and then it runs fine for the rest of the day. Mm -hmm. It doesn't always do it, and it started doing it a little bit at the time, barely mm -hmm. noticeable. Mm -hmm. Now mm -hmm. it'll do it for about two blocks. Yeah. And so what, you know. First thing I would suspect, Bobby, is a leak, intake manifold leak or vacuum leak. And the reason I say that, a lot of people say, well, why does it quit when it warms up? Well, you got to know the way the system works. The oxygen sensors do not come online until they hit 180 degrees. 
So whenever that engine is cold, it's running on default settings. In other words, it's saying, okay, I got this much air coming in. It ought to take this much fuel. That's based on the history I got in memory. I'm going to give it that much fuel. Now, if it's got a vacuum leak, then it's got, it doesn't have the right parameters. So it starts bogging down, leaning out, and all that. Now, when you hit 180 degrees, the O2 sensors come online. They say, hey, we're way too lean here. So they command the computer to go to what they call fuel trim. They start adding additional fuel to cover up the problem. And they can do that. It doesn't mean it's going to burn more fuel. It's just adding fuel for the air that's already in. So it's just like opening the throttle more. But oxygen sensor can cover up the problem. The way you have to diagnose that is go in and you have to have a scan tool that communicate with the computer. And you look at the fuel trim. If it's adding, say, 10, 12, 15% additional fuel, then that's very, very likely that's going to be the problem. Eventually, it's going to set a code 171 or 174, which is lean bank one or lean bank two. But until it hits about 25%, it's not going to do that. Okay. But that's almost always the problem. Now, the intake manifold gaskets will leak on those. They just It's rubber gaskets under a plastic intake. In time, they pack down. They start leaking. Another thing, of course, any kind of a vacuum hose with a crack in it, anything that allows unmetered air to get into the engine is going to do that. One final thing, Bobby, that could do that, something like a dirty air flow meter can actually cause that, or even a bad what they call a map sensor, if it has that on that engine, some do, some don't, can do that. Anything that disturbs the fuel-air mixture before okay. the O2 sensors come online is going to cause it to bog down. Once the sensors come online, they start overriding so they can cover it up. Okay. That's great, Lois. That, that sounds like you really got to watch out for the parts-tronics, you know what I mean? <laughs> oh, yeah. Keep throwing parts, oh, yeah. parts under there until you run out of money. Oh, yeah, and um, see, most people would never suspect something like a vacuum line. Man, I get guys come in, they change plugs and wires and right. calls. and filter, gas filter. Oh, yeah. everything, oh, yeah. fuel filters, even fuel yeah. pumps, trying to yeah. solve that problem, and you end up, there's a crack in one of the vacuum hoses, and it just wasn't making any noise. They couldn't hear it. We go in there with a smoke test, and you can see where the smoke's coming out, so go right to it. But again, if you got somebody with a scan tool that can read that, you can go in and read your fuel trim, see where it's sitting, and that'll tell you pretty much that you got a lean situation going on. We actually took two different manufacturer vehicles and set a vacuum leak in both of them. They set two different codes. Mm -hmm. So, uh -huh. you know, that's something the technician has to understand how this system works as to where he needs to go to start looking for this problem. Yeah, because you can, uh, I think we took a Toyota, we pulled a vacuum line off, and it set a mass airflow sensor code, took a Chevrolet and pulled a vacuum line off, and it set a O2, O2 code. Yeah. yeah, it just said O2s were too lean. Good. And neither right. one was a problem. Right. So if you change the mass airflow sensor or the O2 sensors, you didn't even get close to the problem. You know, you just created another problem. Thanks, guys. Another good reason to go to Altavan. There you go. There you go. <laughs> All right, Bobby. Thank I you. appreciate it, man. Take care, guys. Thank All you. Right, bye bye. Four nine 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 five two six number. If you want to be part of the automotive eye, we'd love to have you. Why don't you go ahead and give us a call? I'm glad to try to talk to you about your problem. Sure. And if you happen to be out of state, you give us a call. Let us know where you're calling from, and we'll get an Agco T-shirt sent out to you, USPS. First thing Monday morning. That's right. We was talking about some of these different email and stuff uh -huh. that we get during the week. And I got another one here from a gentleman up in New York, and he's from Whitestone, New York. And he said he had a little Hyundai Santa Fe. And what happened is that when he got to about 30,000 miles, he decided to have it serviced, so he got his regular mechanic to service it for him. And at some point beyond that, but before it was out of the factory warranty, the transmission went out. Okay. Well, he goes back because it's still under warranty. And, of course, they said, oh, well, the guy that serviced it did it wrong, which is pretty unlikely. Uh -huh. I mean, there's really not much you could do in a service that would actually make the transmission go out. So he argued the point. They did eventually go ahead and repair the transmission for him, put him another transmission in. Well, that one lasted a while and eventually went out, and that it was out of warranty at this point. Correct. So he was real concerned. He said, this is two transmissions I've gone through. What in the world's going on here? 
And I think, again, the only guy who could answer that would be the guy who's tearing that transmission down, seeing what's inside. So all I can do is speculate. But what I think most likely happened here is that initial transmission, the original transmission, probably had something wrong with it from the get-go. Okay. It just wasn't assembled right from Hyundai, from Hyundai? they built it. Right. And so it just failed. You okay. Know, it, that happens. You can service it every day of the week, and if an electrical part goes out, it's still going to fail. If a part breaks, it's still going to fail. Sure. Service can prevent lubrication problems, but it can't prevent all problems. So that would account for the first one. Now, if we had a tech who maybe he's on flat rate, he's rushing, he's ripping, he pulls an old unit out, he slams another unit in, pours some more fluid in, and sends it back out. Well, he didn't clean out all the cooler lines. He didn't clean out the cooler on the radiator. So there's still some debris. Sure. Well, he just set up the failure for the next one. Exactly. And that's going to take a few thousand miles to occur, or several thousand miles to occur. But it's sort of like an air conditioning system. If you don't get that thing, I mean, absolutely spotless. Yeah. Yeah, it's got to be perfect. Any debris that remains in there is going to go right back around, going through the pump, and it's going to start the process over again. So, again, that's just my speculation. There's no way I can know. I wasn't there when the transmission came out. I don't know what failed in it. But right. that would certainly explain it. And he was worried. I said, well, he had it rebuilt at another shop. And it sounds like from what he told me, he said, well, this guy balled out all the lines and all that. I said, well, it sounds like he did a good job. Sure. Chances are you're not ever going to have any more trouble with it. And I know it's discouraging to have two transmissions in your car in 100,000 miles. Yeah, less than that kind of mileage. Mm-hmm. But I think that what happened is that the first failure – who knows what actually happened? It could have just been a part that was a little weak in it or whatever. It could have been an electrical part that burned up. But if when you do that job, you do not do a proper job, you're going to plant the seeds for the next problem. Sure. That's just like rebuilding an engine and using the old oil that's that right. came out of it. Or, or anything, anything else for that matter. Right. I had a dentist that I was going to a number of years ago, and I think he's a nice guy. I think he does his best. I don't think he intentionally tried to hurt me in any way. But some of the work he did just wasn't 100% up the up snuff. And uh-huh. now it's costing me, I've spent probably $10,000 on my teeth reworking stuff that yeah. probably wasn't done as well as it could have been done at the time. And again, I'm not holding anything against him or sure. anything. But it's just, if you don't get a perfect job by whatever reason, now a lot of people say, well, the guy just doesn't care. No, no, no. Some people just don't know better. Sure. Particularly in the automotive business, there are people who aren't trained as well as they should be. They're not equipped as well as they should be. Some people just don't think that far. Mm-hmm. And they do something, they're treating symptoms, they don't do a thorough job. Well, guess who's going to end up paying for it? Well, the, the customer. Well, that's right. You're just like me. I, admittedly, I did last between 10 and 20 years, so I can't complain too much. But a lot of the stuff that I'm having to redo is stuff that was already done, and you having to pull crowns off and redo re- root canals and so on and so forth. Hopefully, if they were done properly, I won't ever have to fool with them again. Exactly. But (laughs) that does happen in every business. Sure. Hey, we're going to take one final quick little break, and we'll be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. Just a guy here for Agco Automotive with a little advice for those who overshare on Facebook. I know I friended you, but please, I don't need to know what you had for breakfast or where you just scratched. I don't need to know your Uncle Dominic's political beliefs or that your mom painted her kitchen the color called Frosted Fern. And for the last time, we don't care that your cat, Doogie Meowser, really looks like Neil Patrick Harris. Some more advice? In this tight economy, why waste money on a new vehicle? Stick with your older model and take good care of it to make sure it lasts. Come to Agco for quality maintenance and repair, and we'll save you from throwing money away on a big note. 
so you can pay other bills or save for something else. In Facebook terms, that's something you'll definitely like. Want more info? Visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O dot com. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back to the final segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Lewis Alzan, president of Agco Automotive. Got our lead tech, Mr. Brian Terry, right here in the co-pilot seat. Hey, between two of us, I believe we can answer just about any question you put to us. That's it. Just give us a call. There you go. You just give us a call. We'll try to help you out and point you in the right direction, give you a little free advice, and maybe keep you from making a mistake. There you go. That's our main goal is keep you from making a mistake. Well, that's right. If we can do that, then that's going to, if nothing else, help you to make a better decision. There you go. I had a guy tell me one time, I said, man, you tell people all the time to go here, go there. He said, how do you benefit from that? I said, well, I just I just want to make the industry better. I've made sure. a living out of this industry for 45 years. I'd like to see it get better. And if I can steer people to the better shops, then the better shops are going to do better. And some of the, the riffraff, booger bears are going to go away, <laughs> I hope. <laughs> there are people out there who shouldn't really be in the automotive business, and they've always been around. And they're in every business, not just sure. the automotive business. But the more of them you can weed out then the better off the industry is as a whole. Exactly. Because they just tend to muddy up the water. People don't look at, well, this guy did that. They say, well, the automotive industry did this. Right. And so it just kind of makes everybody look bad. And I think every profession has those. I'm sure. So it, anyway, that's uh, enough soapbox today. <laughs> I got an email here from Zimbabwe. And a place called, it's Harar, I think is the way you pronounce it, in Zimbabwe. And the guy's got a 95 model Toyota, and he says that he would like to do some work on his vehicle himself, but he uh-huh. was wondering if I could send him some service information on it. And unfortunately, we buy that information from Toyota, and it is copyrighted, so I can't copy it and reproduce it and give it to somebody. Correct. That's illegal and unethical as well. But what I did do is I went to Toyota's site, and they've got a link where you can buy, I think it's Haynes, actually reproduces some of the Toyota manuals or all the manuals, not just Toyota, and you can buy those online. In fact, I believe, I didn't read the whole blurb on it, but I believe you can actually subscribe to it and just take the information you want and pay for it on a per-use basis. And unfortunately, that's just kind of the way the world is nowadays. There's very little you're going to get for free anymore. Right. Information being what it is is very valuable, and nobody hardly gives it away because by the time they figure their time and trouble of putting it on the Internet and the bandwidth eats up and one thing or another, Unless they're trying to sell you something, most information nowadays you have to pay for it. I know the service data that we use to shop, we subscribe to several different services, but most of the manufacturers will sell you their information. Like, for instance, General Motors, I want to say it's about $2,500 a year for us to subscribe to their information. Right. Ford has one, which is another $2,500. Chrysler. Uh, Chrysler, another one, another right. two, Honda, two, $3,000, yeah, and on and on and on, Toyota. So when you start laying out two, 3000 bucks, and that's a year. Sure. This information in a year it expires, and you go to it and says, "Hey, what's your credit card number?" Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but that's just for the information to start checking cars. That's not the tooling or any of that kind of stuff. So, information has gotten to where it's very, very, very expensive. And I know there are some information sites on the internet. You got to watch some of the free stuff that's out or has a vested interest. And the reason they're giving it to you free is they're trying to lure you into something else. So exactly. You got to be a little careful. I know some of the sites you can actually go in on a per use basis. Some of the ones we don't use as much, like Nissan, for instance, we don't use as much as Chevrolet, Ford, Toyota, and those guys. So we actually pay a $25 per use charge okay. on those. And it's cheaper than buying a year's worth of usage. Like for instance, if I need a computer update for a, a Nissan, I can go in, pay them $25, download that particular thing for that particular car that day. 
and I can get my job done, and then I can move on. Right, and that's very valuable for a do-it-yourselfer. It is, and if I were doing that with Chevrolet, I'd go broke pretty fast. Oh, yeah. Do it They're like in there all the time. 20 times a day, <laughs> so I just got to buy a yearly subscription with them. But some of the ones that we don't use as much, you just do it on a per-use basis like that. And a lot of times, a do-it-yourselfer can do the same sure. thing. Hey, we're going back to our phone lines with Curtis. Good morning, Curtis. Good morning. Yes, sir. Good morning. I got an 01 Yukon with 300,000 miles mm-hmm. on it and changed the oil about every 5,000. And I've noticed when I get about halfway through an oil change, about 2,500 miles into it, I'm having to add about a quarter oil. Is that normal for yeah. something with that many right. miles? Oh, absolutely. Yes, yeah. sir. It's probably burning a little bit of oil, Curtis. The rings and all, I don't know if you know the way an internal combustion engine seals itself, but you've got some piston rings which are expanded out under tension against the cylinder walls. And of course, they're scraping up and down constantly. And they start to wear away in time, and 300,000 miles, certainly that time. As they wear, the gap at the end of the ring gets a little bigger. The tension is less. You also have what they call valve guides where the valves are going up and down. Those start to wear, and a little bit of oil gets sucked down the valve guide. So, yeah, if you're burning a quart of oil in 2,500 miles, that's almost nothing. I know a lot of brand-new vehicles. I'm talking 2013, 2014s. If they're burning a quart of oil in a thousand miles, they won't even fix them under warranty. They'll tell you that's normal. Now I don't agree with it, but that's what they're telling people. But uh, certainly, when the engine point? gets a little older, it will start using a little bit of oil. But I mean, I, that's really not a problem. No. Yeah. So when you when you start adding four or five quarts oil, then you need to get it work looked at. Huh? Well, I'm gonna tell you, the fix is a new engine right. or a rebuilt right. engine. So right. you gotta weigh out how much oil can I buy <laughs> for the price of another <laughs> engine. When it starts running bad, let's say it loses enough compression to where it starts missing, it starts throwing a check engine light on. It, or it doesn't, pass, fi- doesn't pass your emissions anymore. Right, fouls the spark plugs out because right. so much oil is getting on the plugs that they start to foul out. If it starts to take out a catalytic converter because too much oil is going, well, yeah, obviously now we got to do something. Right, and, okay. And you know, sometimes the fix is worse than the problem. Right, right. Okay. And, you know, if you like the vehicle a lot, I mean, there are other options other than rebuilding the engine or putting a rebuilt engine. You might look at a late model used engine. We do that a lot because you got a 5.3 in it. Right, 5.3. Yeah, yeah, that little engine is pretty plentiful, man. GM used that engine in almost everything, and they hold up real well. So you can generally buy one of those used with maybe 89,000 miles on it, put that in, and keep on going. Okay. I appreciate it. All right, All right Thanks for the call. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, we're going to go ahead and get on out of here. We want to tell everybody how much we appreciate them listening this morning and every Saturday morning on Automotive Hour. I'd like to thank all our podcasters for listening this week and every week. Tell your friends, go to iTunes, give us a written rating. Yeah, we've got several written ratings this week. Boy, Great. I really do appreciate that. Almost at 100? Yeah, right at it. I don't know if Great. we're not even there yet, but yeah, really, really appreciate those ratings. That's something that really makes our day and moves us up so more people can hear us. Hey, preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend.